the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Love. Courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. Dave was watching from his window as his neighbors argued. Expletives ripped through the thin apartment walls. The fight was escalating quickly. Punches were thrown, fists were flying, and then Dave caught a glimmer of silver out of the corner of his eye. One of the men had a knife and was about to use it. Dave, watching from the window, rushed to his bedroom, opened the bottom drawer, made his choice, and calmly walked outside. He approached the men and just stood there. His presence immediately caused the two men to forget all about their fight. The knife-wielding man attempted to flee the scene, but was caught by police moments later. The neighbor was rushed to the hospital for stab wounds. He's expected to make a full recovery. All because Dave brought a gun to a knife fight. Dave is a certified firearms instructor. Oh, then that's okay. Dave has a collection of guns. Oh, wait a minute. He's a... Oh, he's a hoarder? He grabbed his AR-15. Oh, my. The AR-15, because it was a bigger gun. He believes that the intimidation factor definitely played a part in stopping the fight. No shots were fired. That was never Dave's intention. He said the AR-15 is my weapon of choice for home protection. It's light, it's maneuverable, and if you train and know how to use it properly, it's not dangerous at all. This is just an example of a good guy with an AR-15 stopping a bad guy with a knife. There were no lives taken. So all in all, it was a pretty good day. Bad guy in jail? Other guy who had been stabbed in the hospital but going to make a full recovery? And the AR-15 back where it belongs. People like Dave are all over the country. Let's take a moment and just remember that there's a lot of good guys. In fact, the good guys with guns are in the vast majority. It's Wednesday, February 28th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Oh, my. There's a couple of things um, that we have to get into today. One is uh, Dick's, a major gun retailer, is going to stop selling assault rifles. I would like to know officially from Dick's what an assault rifle is. Can anyone define an assault rifle? It's easy. It's a gun that could potentially hurt someone else. That's an hey. assault uh, weapon. No. Mm-mm. We all know that certain guns uh, can actually do damage to other people if fired upon them. And those guns should not be in the hands of I'm gonna, people. I'm going to bring in uh, two rifles tomorrow. Uh, and one uh, is an assault rifle. And the other one is not. Um, it's a Lapua. One of those will tear you apart. The assault rifle. The assault rifle. It would be the Lapua. And uh, the Lapua will shoot through walls. I think it will actually stop a car. I think it will shoot into an engine block. Hmm. 
it's a it's a pretty powerful rifle and it'll you could you know people have used it to kill people in war a mile away that's not going to be an assault rifle that's not an assault rifle well as we all know glenn and we've seen this many times over the past couple of weeks when you push people who are looking for gun control on on these sorts of questions hey wait a minute how can you ban this weapon and not this weapon what they always say is well it's a good first step and you got to start somewhere and then they follow it with we're not coming for all of your guns right (laughs) well wait wait a minute which one is it which one is it also brian mast who is a uh a congressman in Florida and a guy who has been on this program several times has uh, he's a war hero and he has suddenly had a change of heart uh, and uh, believes that we should uh, take all ARs uh, off the market. Well, OK, Brian, um, we've invited him to be on this program today. I hope that he uh, takes us up because uh, I have just a few questions and I'm sure he's smart enough to answer them. And he's well thought out enough. Now, I know he's busy with CNN today, um, but uh, it would be nice to see if he would spend some time here answering uh, just a few questions on his new stance with ARs. I do think, though, to be fair, an AR-15 is a weapon that can kill you from 15 miles away, and that should not be available. <laughs> no, it's, it's really not. No, 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 it can. No. No, you're wrong. You, an elementary school in Pennsylvania will close today for classes this week when a nearby church a nearby church holds a blessing ceremony involving AR-15 rifles. The superintendent of the school district wrote in a letter to parents that students will instead be taking to schools about 15 miles away. (laughs) The superintendent said in the letter, there's no direct threat, but said that there are worries about parking traffic and the, quote, nature of the event, end quote. Mm. See, the nature of the event, Glenn. Because they have a gun. Now, people... Don't realize that they walk by people all the time with guns because they're concealed carry holders or uh, people have guns in their cars. About 10 percent. Uh, yeah. About 10 percent of Americans mm-hmm. have a concealed carry permit. Did, did you know that about one out of every 10 people, depending on where you are, is carrying a gun? If you're in Texas, it's probably 10 out, 10 of, 10. out of 10 people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and so you're going to move the kids 15 miles away so they don't get shot by the AR-15? Absolutely Insane. unbelievable. Okay, we, we wanted to bring on uh, Chad Robichaux because he is, he is a good friend uh, and he is the president of the Mighty Oaks Foundation. The Mighty Oaks Foundation is truly a miracle organization. This is an organization that takes guys who have uh, PTSD and really have no place to go, and uh, they're changing lives. They are turning people away from suicide uh, and turning their lives back into real productive lives. Uh, and And I've met a lot of the people that have gone through this program one after another after another, and they're and they're healed. And it's remarkable and uh, a little unconventional because Jesus is uh, involved. Or at least you're allowed to say the word Jesus. We have Chad uh, on the phone now. Hi, Chad. How are you? Hey, Glenn. Great to be back on. So you were uh, were, uh, United States uh, Marine Corps decorated. Uh, You were on reconnaissance. Um, I mean, you've been through it all, you know, weapons and, uh, you wrote a, you wrote a piece that I thought was really, really good about, um, arming teachers and, and also, uh, how we just, I mean, Chad, we don't want to make our schools into a prison. 
No, <laughs> no, we don't. But, you know, uh, I think a lot of people forget what we did after 9-11. You know, immediately after 9-11, there was 40 air marshals. Uh, the, the government went to, in this effort to have to recruit and uh, build up the air marshal program to help uh, harden our planes. And one of, the, one of the efforts behind that was, hey, we can't get enough air marshals, so let's look at the last line of defense, the cockpit, and let's arm the pilots. And so they started a program called the FFDO program. We took normal vocational pilots who volunteered to be extra screened and extra trained and vetted and, uh, and armed our pilots and, and took those soft targets of those airplanes and made them hard targets and, uh, and a real deterrent. And this thing costs a lot of money, and, and it's been extremely successful program still to this day. And uh, so when people say that you know, the president's comments on arming teachers is ridiculous, it's not ridiculous. Uh, and, and uh, you know, we're not talking about arming every single teacher. Uh, they go to the work and they stop in the, um, at the armory. Uh, we're talking, you know, a small percentage, <laughs> a small percentage of the right ones who want to volunteer, who want to be vetted, a volunteer to be vetted and trained and not run around the classroom or the halls like a SWAT team member, but be the last line of defense, just like a cockpit. When they're in that classroom, locked down with their students, instead of the last thing they have to do is throw their body between, you know, the gunmen and, and their students, because that seems to be okay. Uh, they could actually defend themselves. And this isn't a crazy concept. This is actually being done in 18 states right now. And we don't hear incidents of things going sideways in these, these states that are doing it. So wait, 18 yeah. states are already training like we trained the pilots? No, no. 18 states are, uh, are allowing teachers to have concealed carry on, okay. on, on their campuses. And uh, now I, I, believe, I, I believe it should be more than that. I don't think that's enough. I, I believe that they should be vetted. I believe they should be uh, trained. And we should provide training. The FFDO program costs the government about $20 million a year to run. And I can't say the numbers of how many pilots that covers because it's, we want to keep the bad guys guessing, but it's a lot. It's a lot of pilots that are, that are covered. And, and, you know, when, when people assess if I'm going to go attack an airplane, they have to ask themselves, is there an air marshal on the plane? Is that pilot, if I make it to the cockpit, am I going to get shot? And, and the argument is, uh, you know, well, someone's willing to die. Uh, Glenn, you, you know me, and, you know, I've, I've been in gunfights. <laughs> and one thing I know about being in, in a gunfight is that even a bad guy willing to die doesn't want to get shot back at. And, uh, and uh, just the idea that that's a hard target, that a plane's a hard target, that, that a school could be a hard target, it, it'll make them think twice. And, it, and they may not do it, or they may go to a different target. And, you know, our soft targets right now in our country are our gun-free school zones, and that's not okay. So, so Chad, a couple of things. First of all, you were one of the guys who trained people on planes, were you not? That's right. Right, right after 9-11, I was, uh, came on as one of the, the very first air marshals for a short period of time and, uh, and, and helping get the FFDO program ramped up. I was one of the training officers that helped the first wave of, of uh, federal flight deck officers. So you, so you were, a, were an air marshal as well. We were talking about this yesterday. Just saying, even if you as a school decide amongst yourselves, shh, we're, we're actually going to be a gun-free zone. We're not going to let anybody carry guns. But just putting a sign outside saying uh, uh, security and, uh, and some teachers are armed would be a deterrent. By, by telling, we don't ever tell, when you're on an airplane, you don't know who the air marshal is. We don't want teachers to be brandishing firearms or even to be known who has them because it makes them less effective. You want everybody guessing. That's right. I mean, you, you want to create that, that unknown deterrent. And uh, we, we, do this, we do this around the world for our embassies and our consulates. And you, 
just last week we had a CNN town hall meeting. Uh, that was a hard target. Armed security. I mean, th- those no one's going to go attack a place like that because they know that there's security there. You know, but yet our schools, people are fighting to defend our schools to be to continue to be soft targets, and I just don't understand it. Uh, this isn't a crazy solution, and and uh, you know we have the capacity to do that. There's there's lots of other things that can be done, and uh, you could talk about legislation and stuff like that. But this is something that could be done and done right away. So can you can you help me out on? Uh, let me switch subjects just a bit. How do we? It, people right now are saying we need to get rid of AR-15s. And uh, all assault rifles need to be banned. First of all, um, no. But second of all, let's just... D- can you define, Chad, what an AR is? Well, that's the question. And I was listening to you guys earlier. When people talk about you know banning ARs, the people that are having these conversations can't even define what the AR is, an uh, assault rifle is. And so where do you draw the line? Of what, you know, And that line is going to... You, you know as well as I do, Glenn, that line is going to continually shift... Uh, as people kind of get their way in pushing this and, and impeach, impeaching on our, our Second Amendment rights. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it goes back to me, and I think, I think you and I are right on the same page as this. This isn't a, a gun issue. Everyone thinks this is a gun issue. This is, this is a, it's a cultural issue. When you take you know, God out of schools, you take fathers out of homes, you take moral absolutes out of society, this is where we are. And, and culture is a problem. I, I, used, well, I went to high school in Louisiana, our parking lot was full of pickup trucks with gun racks on the back, yeah. and loaded rifles. Me too. That people would probably call assault rifles, and no one shot it. No one shot anyone. Right. You know, but if we're gonna accept this as our culture and not change that, then we have to have real solutions and and identifying certain guns and say, okay, that gun is not okay. That's not going to change anything, and it just takes our eyes off of what the real problem is. You know, these 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 arguments, and uh, and we're not going to end up with any real solutions. Do you, do you find any any validity in the argument that we just have to do something? I mean, this is the thing that they keep saying over and over again. We have to take some step. We know if we do nothing, these things will continue. Why don't we do something? Well, I, you know, and I think we do do something. Uh, but I think that the people that are making an argument aren't really presenting anything. Uh, I mean, what are we, I mean, we got people marching around the country saying no guns at all. Well, that's unrealistic. There's a half a billion guns in America, and who's going to go take them? Where do they start? They're going to go into Sixth District of New Orleans or the South Shadows of Chicago, and, or small town Texas, and start taking people's guns. I mean, that's yeah, that's it's unrealistic. Not, yeah, it's so. it, it's just it's not going to happen. Um, if if somebody wanted to start, if a state or a school wanted to start a program like like you're talking about, Chad, how do they do it? Well, I, th- I think I think the, we have a a president right now who's willing to step up and do this and, and fund it. And so I, I believe just like the, uh, just like the air marshals, the, the, the pilots and the airlines or, or private corporations, just like they're not training the guys, the federal government utilized the federal air marshal service and they put a $20 million approximately budget together per year to fund tra- this training. And so I think, you know, the federal government seems to me as they're willing to step up a training program and you know, one thing teachers have, these volunteer teachers, they have three months off in the summer, and uh, they have the time. I'm sure the president said 20% is what he would, th- he would suggest. I'm sure 20% of the teachers would volunteer to step up and do this. And, and, uh, and if there isn't federal monies, uh, I know there's, there's police organizations, there's private organizations. A friend of mine, Tim Kennedy, has an organization that goes around and provides free training for yep. this type of stuff. 
I mean, there's plenty of, of uh, private organizations that's that's willing to step up and, and provide the solution. Chad, I, I'm sure you know. I, I, I've just got to run, but I want to thank you so much uh, for everything that you do, and thank you for what you do for the Mighty uh, Mighty Oaks Foundation. Thank you for on, thank you. on behalf of the vets. Thank you. Thank you. Go to the website at mightyoaksprograms.org, and you can get uh, Chad on Twitter, at Chad Robo. Former recon marine, federal air marshal, and the guy who helped was one of the first to uh, step in after 9-11 and teach uh, our pilots how to protect the planes. Liberty Safe continues to amaze. Uh, They not only make great safes, but now they make it easy to own one. Now at LibertySafe.com, you can buy a Liberty Safe at a great price and receive 12 months interest-free payments with zero down and zero APR. They even offer Liberty Safes for as low as $20 a month. Liberty Safe, they have been around here in America growing like nobody's business for, um, for a long, long time. They provide peace of mind, lifetime warranties, in-home delivery service that's unmatched. When you buy a Liberty Safe, may I suggest you buy bigger than you think you need because the number one complaint on a Liberty Safe is, I should have bought a bigger one. Do what I've done. Have it installed in your home. You can have it bolted right to the foundation, and that ain't going anywhere, and nobody's opening it. You worry about your guns? Nobody's opening a Liberty You need to act now and protect what you value. Go to LibertySafe.com. LibertySafe.com. The home of the best-built safes on the planet. LibertySafe.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Another school shooting. The gunfire lasted less than 10 minutes, but this Heavily armed with a bulletproof vest, loads of ammunition, and a powerful AR-15. Another debate about banning guns. Keep assault rifles out of the hands of people who are going to shoot our kids. I want this to be the catalyst, the end of the Second Amendment. Now, more than ever, you need to know the facts. Get Control, exposing the truth about guns on Amazon and wherever books are sold. Uh, Dick's Sporting Goods has uh, just made the decision that uh, they are going to ban all assault rifles. We'll give you all the details on this coming up in just a second. One of the strangest things about the movement in the gun debate on this particular shooting is that it is, I think, maybe without a doubt, the most preventable shooting we've ever seen. We've ever seen. I've never seen anything like this. The amount of information that keeps pouring out. Let's listen to the gunman's neighbor. Uh, I mean, listen to the the people talking about this guy. You you know that people knew this was going to occur. My husband and I both knew that it was not over, that we would eventually see him one day on the news wearing an orange jumpsuit, being charged with murder. We both knew it. I didn't know exactly how it would happen or how soon it would happen, but I had no doubt in my mind that it would happen. You begged this officer to please do something. I did. I begged him, and he basically told me that it was not an immediate threat. He couldn't do anything, is what he told me. See, this is a problem. I remember him leaving and just thinking, my God, he's going to kill someone and I can do nothing about it. So here's, here's the problem with this. This, I believe, is where the average American is that's not engaged in the rhetoric of the left or the right right now. 
they are saying my kids are in danger there are things we can do and this one was so preventable what are you what are you guys talking about is this happening in my town can can you arrest somebody who is has this track record and the answer is yes you can glenn back mercury You know, we've had a really good run with the market since, I mean, for a while now. I mean, going back to 2008, since it bottomed out in 2009, 2010, we've had a really good run. And a lot of people now are looking at their house and saying, you know what? I've had this house for a long time. I'm looking for something maybe a little bit different, maybe a little smaller, maybe downsizing, maybe uh, just taking some uh, money off the table and locking in the profits you've made uh, over the past couple of years. To do that, though, you need to maximize this because this could be the biggest financial opportunity you have in your entire life. Selling your house in a nut market can mean, you know, setting yourself up for the rest of your life. Realestateagentsitrust.com was set up by Glenn uh, to make sure you can find an agent in your area that has a really solid work ethic that understands that you need to be updated and, and be uh, you know, to do business in a way that's uh, that makes sense, that, that you understand, that aligns with your values. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go. Realestateagentsitrust.com. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Well, Dick Sporting Goods has made a choice, and I think a brave choice, uh, one that I... Uh, I don't agree with, but they said they are going to take a stand and they're going to stop selling assault rifles permanently. Now, I don't know exactly what an assault rifle is defined as. We we haven't had anyone actually define what an assault rifle is besides a scary looking black one. But uh you can change the handles on an assault rifle and it's no longer an assault rifle. So what do you what what is an assault rifle? Here is um, Dick, right? No, his name is Ed. Actually, Ed, oh really? Uh, Ed. Uh, well, he's always Ed be Dick Stack. to a lot of people. So, yes. what is his name, Ed? Because he's Ed? the CEO of Dicks. He would always be Dick to a lot of people. I'm just saying. Okay, his Let's, name is Ed Stack, and yes. Uh, so here, <laughs> that's so wrong. Here's. Here is Ed, and um, uh, he's making the announcement on CNN. Here it is. We think it's the right thing to do. We, uh, you know, after after Parkland, we were so disturbed and, and, and saddened by what happened in Parkland that we said we need to do something. And uh, mm. we talked about what we needed oh, to do, powerful. and we felt that we needed to make a statement that we will no longer sell assault-type rifles, assault high-capacity magazines, and a few other things. And uh, what the, our hearts went out to those kids and to their parents and uh, you know everybody talks about thoughts and prayers going out to them, and that's that's great, but that doesn't really do anything. And we felt that we need to take a stand. Can we? Prayers don't do anything. Can we do something first? No. Can we just can we just address the thoughts and prayers? The thoughts and prayers are not going out to stop violence. I mean, yes, we pray that there's protection, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Thoughts. And prayers are for the families and those who are trying to heal. It's not the solution. It's not being proposed by religious people as the solution. Our thoughts and prayers are with the families who are grieving. Can we stop 
with this nonsense that thoughts and prayers aren't enough. Of course they're not. But they are a part of a civilized Judeo-Christian country. Stop belittling it. Yeah, well, yeah, because I think that's it's true and that most people, when they say that, right, say thoughts and prayers as a way to extend condolences, to tell people who are victims of such things that you feel for them and you understand their if, grief. If, if I may, qu- may, may I quote, we are deeply disturbed and saddened by the tragic events in Parkland. Our thoughts and prayers are with all of the victims and their loved ones. That's from Dick at Dick's Sporting Goods. (laughs) So we got it. Can we go one step further with the thoughts and prayers thing here before we get back to this audio, though? I can understand if you are not a believer, right, that you might say thoughts and prayers are meaningless. There's about, you know, 10, 15 percent of the country that is atheist or agnostic that I can understand saying that, you know, prayers mean nothing. Now, thoughts would still be a a message of condolences, and, and but it has nothing to do with that. But go back to this for a second. If you are a believer, the thing you believe is the most powerful thing in the universe you are appealing to in a moment of real crisis. It is an absolutely incredibly meaningful thing for someone who believes. You might not think, if you're not a believer, that it is that has no impact at all. However, how many times have you said this, Glenn? The real solution to all of this is that we turn back towards God. That we turn back towards these things. That's a real, it's not a legislative uh, 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 solution. It's much, much bigger than that. The prayer is not nothing to a non to a believer. If you are someone who thinks it's all, you know, gobbledygook and nonsense, well, then, of course, I don't think that you're going to think a prayer is a big deal. But to someone who is a believer, it's an incredibly large deal. It's the thing that we are here to do. It's one of the main things that are like one of the central focuses of our lives, right? So it's not nothing. Saying thoughts and prayers, if you don't actually pray in addition to thoughts and prayers, well, that's then maybe you can say that that's nothing. But when you're actually praying, when you're a believer, that's a big deal. We all, our lives are supposed to be a heck of a lot more praying than we actually do. So beginning beginning today, Dick's Sporting Goods, which, by the way, I support Dick's being able to do this. They're a private company. They make their own choices. I think this is wrong. I, I think it's a I think it's a, a, a could be a fatal mistake for their business, um, because I don't think that the average person uh, is is with this. I really don't. Um, you know, you look at the people's, the, the companies who have started to say, I'm distancing myself from the NRA. None of them have had growth because of it. All of them have had massive hits to their, uh, to their likability scores. Every company polled had an overall decline by double digits. Uh, and well into the double digits. Yes, uh, from uh, overall opinion about them, because you get a slight get a slight bump from from uh, Democrats. Yes, and you get a gigantic fall off from Republicans. Yes. So all you're doing is you are you are choosing sides. You are instead of saying, "Look, we are uh, we we believe in the Constitution. We believe in the right of assembly. We believe in the right of association. We believe in the right freedom of speech, and we believe in the Constitution." as uh the second amendment and we're we're here to serve all americans now you guys work it out 
until then, we're here to serve all Americans in a legal and responsible way. That, to me, is the way you save your business. Those who want to choose a side, either side, I think you are making a massive mistake. Massive mistake. Dick's will be the number one sporting goods store in places like Boulder, Colorado, and, and Los Angeles, and New York City. But I think, I can't imagine any of my neighbors in Idaho are going to go into a Dick's Sporting Goods. They can't choose Cabela's. Yeah, they'll, they'll choose. There's, there's other choices. They'll, they'll choose. So they said, we will no longer sell assault rifles, also referred to as, quote, modern sporting rifles. We have already removed them from the Dick stores after Sandy Hook, but we will now remove them from sale at all 35 field and stream stores. Field and stream stores. Well, what am I going? Why would I go to? Now it's just a stream store. Now it's just a stream <laughs> store. Well, you should stop selling stop hooks murdering as well. fish. We will no, no longer sell firearms to anyone under the age of 21. Again, this is their right to do this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we will no longer sell high capacity magazines. This is the, this is one of the most ridiculous things I've I've ever heard. High capacity magazines. Okay, so you've made every single sports shooter a life a nightmare. Trying to load them if you load them by hand is a nightmare. And anybody who knows anything about guns knows I can drop that magazine and shove another one in really fast. I just take a breath to pause in shooting to put a new magazine in. It's a ridiculous idea. And not to mention, with the age of the internet and being able to order things from God knows where, plus the idea of 3D, 3D printing, printing. these bands are meaningless. We, will, we have never and never will sell bump stocks that allow semi-automatic weapons to fire more rapidly. Now, I agree that bump stocks, I think that's a nightmare. I think that's, a, I think that's someone trying to get past the law. But again, 3D printing, and I don't know if you know this, but... The way those started was from people using their belt loop on their jeans. Yeah. I mean, you ban the belt loop, ban the belt loop. This is not going to do anything. And as we pointed out a little while ago, first define AR tomorrow. We're going to try to do this. Define AR. What does it mean? An AR is not assault rifle. Right, like a lot of people say that, that it is, right? It's the brand of that particular gun, the AR-15, right? Assault rifle, our modern sporting rifle. A modern right? is, sporting rifle. Is this class of weapons, because it's an AR, you could at least say, is a brand, right? <laughs> like, you can't say that about assault rifles. It's, it, it is a meaningless term. We all know it's a meaningless term. But again, these these solutions are not designed to solve anything no they're trying to make people feel better that we've done something so let's let's actually do something let's harden our schools like we have our airports and our banks Uh, is there more treasure in fort knox or in our local school why can we not have air marshals in our schools why can we not have responsible policing in our schools? Real policing set up for this. The times have changed. Having Barney Fife, you know, on call is not what we need. And, and is that going to be successful in every circumstance? No. no. We saw in Parkland that they actually were relatively well prepared 
for this particular incident with someone very close by that was able to be there in one minute. I mean, I, you know, I don't know if you're ever going to, you know, improve on that situation. You just actually have to execute your training. Assault weapons have been around since Vietnam, since Vietnam. They just became popular because they look cooler. We've had access to them. In fact, bigger access to them uh, since Vietnam. We didn't have this problem. There's a problem in society with our souls. There's a problem. And what is that problem? We don't see each other as people. So now what do we do? Divide ourselves even more and say, you're part of the problem. You, that half of America. I refuse to do that to the people who are trying to limit guns because I know a lot of people who believe this. I think they are ill-educated. They, they, they are not well-educated on this particular topic. They have, they have no experience with them and they're afraid of them. I understand that. I grew up around them. You didn't. But if you're talking about a constitutional right, you need to educate yourself. You have to know what it is. Then you have to know what are the what what is the record? Because we've already done this. We've banned assault weapons. We banned them. According to the very right wing Bill Clinton Justice Department, it did what, Stu? Yeah, it was actually a little bit later than that. But yeah, they did. It, they found that it, it had no decrease in the uh, murder rate at all. None. There's none. Go, no decrease none. in the gun homicide rate. It did, it did nothing. I mean, uh, it did nothing. That's, that's quite a... We've already tried, and this is their far-reaching thing, right? The assault weapons ban, nobody believes they have a chance of passing. I mean, you know, they're talking about trying to get certain things done, raising the age and things like that that have maybe a prayer of being done since the president has kind of indicated potential support so, for them, but there's no so way. So my 19-year-old daughter who's going to, uh, going to college, she can't carry a gun. If she has a stalker, if she has something that she's very concerned about, she couldn't keep a gun until she's 21. So my daughter is wide open for rape if she were in college until she was 21. In the middle of the Me Too movement, too, which is interesting. Here's the You're trying to tell us that one out of every... One, women seemingly get raped in college. Everybody gets sexually harassed all the time, yet they, women cannot protect themselves. And at the same time, you have a woman who is, who is in the midst of, of taking steroids to become a man in high school, and all of the girls are complaining because of the steroids she's taking, just testosterone. They are too weak to be able to fight her off. They can't even win in a, in a wrestling match. So what uh, a a woman who's not strong enough to fend off an attack of a man who's who's juiced up and ready to ready to rape you and do violence you're going to be able to stop them without a gun you're going to be able to stop what we're just going to write off all women who are under 21 yep you're going to have to fend for yourself i don't think so I have a natural God-given right to protect myself. Now let's protect our children by A, fixing the real problem that happened in Florida. And that was a failure of the system.
If you are looking to hire uh, somebody at your business, you need somebody great. You need somebody who really gets it. You want the best out there. How are you going to find them? Unless you have a big HR uh, uh, department behind you, it's going to be tough. Now, some people have a big, huge HR firm uh, behind them, a huge uh, center in the middle of their com- uh, their company uh, that is just looking for new talent. Well, how come those companies are also doing what small companies are doing using ZipRecruiter? ZipRecruiter is the smarter way uh, to find somebody that is the right connection for you at at the office or at the business, somebody who is really going to turbocharge your company. Right now, ZipRecruiter um, identifies the people with the right experience and then invites them to apply to your job. So not only do they post on all of the job sites, but they don't wait for somebody to apply. They go out and say, hey, have you seen this job? And then when they find the people that really match, when, when all of the resumes are coming in, they highlight the best ones and say, you have to talk to this person. ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter. Do it right now. You can try it for free. Get your next great hire through ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. You use the slash Beck and you can try it for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. We think it's the right thing to do. We, uh, you know, after after Parkland, we were so disturbed and, and, and saddened by what happened in Parkland that we said, we need to do something. And uh, we talked about what we needed to do, and we felt that we needed to make a statement that we will no longer sell assault-type rifles, high-capacity magazines, and a few other things. And uh, what the, our hearts went out to those kids and to their parents, and, uh, you know, everybody talks about thoughts and prayers going out to them, and that's, that's great. But that doesn't really do anything. And we felt that we need mm. to take a stand and do this. Great messenger. That is, the, uh, uh, that is the CEO of Dick's Sporting Goods. Oh. And we support his right to make that choice as a business. I think it's a um, ill-advised choice for business. But also, it's just Glenn ill-informed. Glenn Beck. Mercury. Love. Courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. Do you remember Michael Wolf? He's the journalist, quote unquote, who hung out in the lobby of the White House until he gathered enough dirt to write Fire and Fury. Well, he's been on a uh, international book tour to promote that book. And things have not gone so well for him as they did here in the U.S. During an interview with an Australian TV news show, Wolf was asked about his recent comment to Bill Maher saying that he was he was absolutely sure that President Trump is currently having an affair. Wolf was doing the interview from London and he suddenly uh, claimed he couldn't hear the Australian interviews question because something was wrong with his audio connection, which is weird. Sometimes happens, sometimes doesn't. Um, but, uh, later the Australian news show posted the footage from their London studio showing that there were no audio problems. So probably sometimes it doesn't was what really happened here. He just didn't want to answer the question. When Wolf was on Bill Maher's show, he encouraged the audience to read between the lines of a passage in Fire and Fury where he includes suggestive language about Trump and U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley. Okay. 
So when the British TV interviewer tried to clarify Wolf's innuendo about Trump, Haley, and other possible affairs, Wolf said, and I quote, I assume. I assume because this is Donald Trump, and I think it's, you know, absolutely a fair assumption, end quote. Well, gosh, I'm pretty sure that that's, that's one of the first things they should be teaching in journalism school to never assume anything because it makes an I don't need to say it, do I? Well, no, for Wolf, I do. It makes an ass out of you and me if I went along. Even when it involves Donald Trump, you shouldn't assume. Wolf stands by his own journalism, though, saying there's no difference between the journalism in Fire and Fury and books by Bob Woodward. Really? So what is Michael Wolf hoping to accomplish here besides racking up book sales? Well, after a rough few days of being asked uncomfortable questions by European journalists who didn't have a dog in the fight, they just had real journalistic questions for him. Wolf has had enough of the heat. He canceled a BBC interview yesterday saying the tour has just taken a toll. I'm sure it has probably less on your body and more on your reputation. Assumptions by the left and the right about each other those are taking a toll on us we have pulled up an anchor of reason and we are selling uh, sailing straight into choppy waters of accusation innuendos and out and out lies about both sides let me make a plea could we try it for a day to stop assuming the worst about each other for instance, we just did a monologue on, on uh, Dick's Sporting Goods. I don't, ex- I, I don't think the worst of them. I don't. I think they're reasonable people that feel that they're doing the reasonably right thing. And they have a right to do it. I just think they're wrong. But I don't want to see Dick's go out of business. I think they will eventually because of this. But I think that's because they're out of step. But you know what? Maybe I'm out of step. Maybe I don't know what America is anymore. But here's the thing. We have to stop hating each other and assuming the worst. We have to work to fix reason firmly in her seat. And yes, question with boldness. But question honestly and have an open mind where to where if you hear a new fact, you're like, okay, I didn't know that. Let me look into it. And let it risk enough that you might change your mind if there's a good enough case of reason. Question, but pursue the truth. And let's stop pursuing just a win for our team. We need a lot less fire and fury and a lot more honor and humility. It's Wednesday, February 28th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. You know, you just want to read a good book. I'm reading a, I'm reading a couple of books right now that make my head hurt. Um, I tweeted last night, don't, uh, don't just read Jordan Peterson's book, uh, The 12 Rules to Live By. Listen to it. I've read it, and now I'm listening to the audio version 
I, he you can tell he's crying at parts of it and it's and it's it says so much about him i have so much more respect for him i've read the book listen to it and it takes on a whole different deeper meaning uh but i'm reading that and i'm i'm reading um another one about the enlightenment and i just do you ever just want to just curl up with a good book and just feel good there is a new book out by Mark Weinberg. Um, the name of the book is Movie Nights with the Reagans. Here's a guy who worked with the Reagans all the way through the uh, White House years and then beyond and would go to Camp David on the weekends and watch movies. Now they're all classic movies uh, and learned a lot about the Reagans and life and has put it in a new book, Movie Nights with the Reagans. Mark, welcome to the program. Good morning. Happy to be here. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Very good. So when you were when you were going to Camp David, I mean, first of all, let's just let's just talk. What was it like to be? I mean, I don't know if you would classify yourself as a friend because you're probably too humble. uh, But what was it like to be in the friend zone with the with with Ronald Reagan? It was an honor to work for the Reagans, and it was a special treat to go with them to Camp David on weekends and watch movies, and this book brings that picture of them to the reader. It's a picture that hadn't been seen before, and I was very excited to share it with everybody. So, so tell, me about, tell me about the most memorable, because you go through, and it's such a great way to read this book, you go through the movies that you saw with them. So every chapter is a, is a different movie. Nine to five. Oh God. Book two Raiders of the lost Ark on golden pond, chariots of fire, top gun, untouchables. Uh, so what did you learn in each of these? And what was your, what are your favorite memories? Well, the most important memory, I guess, is, is how important movies were to the Reagans. You know, I point out in this book that this, the movie business is where they came from, where Nancy Reagan and Ronald Reagan met, and their lives began together, and it formed the basis of everything in their adult life, essentially, and taught him some very valuable skills about how to lead the nation. And I think the book is a gentle reminder of the kindness of Ronald Reagan and his love for movies. I think there's a nostalgia now for him, even on the left, for people who didn't agree with him, because he had a way of appreciating what unified us. And in the 1980s, movies were one of those things. There were some amazingly important and impactful and entertaining films of the 80s, and how the Reagans reacted to them was something I was very privileged to see and very excited to share with people. So let's talk about the reactions some. For instance, you say that war games may have influenced Ronald Reagan on his nuclear policy. Tell me about that. I remember watching war games, and what I remember most about it is that usually after the movies, it Camp David in their lodge, Aspen Lodge, there would be a very robust discussion of the movie, what people thought and how the movie was made. And the president, Mrs. Reagan, would share stories, many of which are in this book, about behind the scenes of of Hollywood and regale us. After War Games, it was oddly silent. It was what I would call a sobering movie, because it introduced the possibility that by accident, there could be a nuclear war. And as you know, Ronald Reagan was unalterably committed to keeping the world safe and free from that threat. And I think this really made him 
made him think. Now, movies didn't form policy for him, but it certainly was one that made him think. And that, that silence in Aspen was very uncharacteristic. If you go through and read about the rest of the movies, as you know, you'll read that there's a lot of fun and interesting stories that they share and laughs and so forth. But this one was different. So there was one other place that you say in the book um, was oddly silent, and it was after this line uh, in Back to the Future. Listen. Then tell me, future boy. Who's president of the United States in 1985? Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan? The actor? <laughs> then who's vice president? Jerry Lewis. I suppose Jane Wyman is a first lady. Whoa, wait, Doc. And Jack Benny is secretary of the treasury. Doc, you gotta listen to me. I got enough practical jokes for one evening. Okay, I, I think this is, this is such a funny scene. And you describe this as, you know, the laughter was there until I suppose the first lady is Jane Weinman. Weinman. You could hear the oxygen go out of the room because that was a name that just wasn't mentioned. And some of us exchanged worried glances. No one said anything. Uh, you know, Mrs. Reagan clearly heard it. Movie ended and it was it was a funny movie. The Reagans laughed through most of it and we didn't quite know what to say. Uh but someone broke the silence by saying something about Jack Benny because he was a friend of the Reagans and just had a nice conversation. It never came up again. And I had an interview with Mrs. Reagan before she passed away. It was her last interview, actually, as far as I know, at her home in Los Angeles. And we talked about the movies that we watched at Camp David, and she was very excited about the fact that I was going to share this story because this is a side of them that had never been written about and was so special to them watching the movies. And I brought up what some of the favorite memories were, and I brought that back, uh, one back up, but did not mention <laughs> the Wyman name. I also tell a story in this book, without giving it away, about the only other time I heard Jane Wyman's name, and that was from Ronald Reagan's own mouth. Um, let me let me ask you about nine to five. You say nine to five angered the Reagans and actually was the reason or was one of the motivating reasons uh, for such an active uh, campaign with Nancy Reagan on just say no to drugs. Yes. You know, that was an almost favorite. And in fact, it was the first movie I saw with them in this surreal atmosphere at, at Camp David, and it was a, a very entertaining movie. Jane Fonda, notwithstanding, it was an entertaining movie. But what turned the Reagans off to it was the glamorization of marijuana. There was a scene where the three women smoked marijuana, and that turned them off. And in researching this book, I went back and read President Reagan's personal handwritten diaries, and he wrote in there that that scene made him angry, that it wasn't necessary, that if perhaps they had been drinking, which was legal, marijuana was not, that might have been okay. And Mrs. Reagan was bothered by it, and in fact, in one of her speeches as part of the Just Say No campaign, even referred to it, that when you glamorize or glorify these bad habits, you're not doing kids any favor, and I think it, I think it made them mad at Hollywood. So, you know, I, as I'm reading your book, there's pictures in the middle of it, and there's a picture of you on the tarmac. <laughs> it is such a an amazing shot you're on the tarmac and marine one is behind you the helicopter and there is a wired desk telephone that had been taped down onto the tarmac brought out to you (laughs) 
and you're on this rotary dial phone uh, on the tarmac, things were so radically different back then. They were different back then. There was no internet. There was no cable TV. There were not cell phones. We used something called typewriters. And one of the things I hope this book does is take people down that memory lane of the 80s, which I think was a wonderful time in American history. But you're right. It was different times. Before before we ask, the Stu has a question that if you're a big <laughs> Stu fan, you know what the question is going to be. But um, uh, can you just describe you're at Camp David? This is a place that, you know, the last two presidents haven't really liked. Um, it's it's very quiet and old school. Explain what the room was like and how these movies were shown. The Reagans loved Camp David uh, because they could just be themselves. They were just the Reagans. There was no press. There was no anything around. It was as close to normal as they could get in their circumstances. And that's why she and he cherished it so much. That's why she was so happy to talk to me about it. And that's why I wanted to write about it, because it had not been revealed before. Their home at Camp David was a modest three-bedroom ranch-style home called Aspen Lodge. It was in the living room of that uh, home where we watched the movies while they sat on a couch. A screen came down from the ceiling, a projection room at the back of the dining area in that house, and a window through which the movies were shown reel-to-reel like in a theater. The old days. They loved Camp David because they could relax and be private. There's a story in there about some hijinks of the Secret Service. They just like to exhale together. So we we have one minute. Um, since I was about nine years old, Mark, uh, I was fully convinced that Rocky Four ended the Cold War. Uh, they they actually did watch Rocky Four. What did what did they think of it? He liked the fact that the American won. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know that, that never bothered Ronald Reagan. As you go through this book, you'll find that these pro-military ones are the ones that, that really appealed to him the most. Yeah. Wow. Mark Weinberg. The name of the book is Movie Nights with the Reagans. It is a refreshing break uh, that you will really enjoy. Movie Nights with the Reagans, available in bookstores everywhere. With volatility in the stock market, wild string uh, swings in Bitcoin, and the constant turmoil in Washington, you may not have noticed that gold had just came off its best year since 2010. And gold is up now $100 since mid-December with lots of room to run. It is a safe haven for centuries, and it performs well in times of volatility. It, it performs well in times of uh, inflation. Do you know that since 2016, your dollar has lost 11% of value? That's inflation. Um, If you've done well in the cryptocurrency or extended rise in the stock market, have you considered taking some of those earnings off the table and putting it in as a hedge? That's why hedge funds, this is why people, you know, do hedge funds. They hedge the bet in case things go another way. What do you have to balance it? It's not an all-in strategy. It's a hedge, a long-term investment strategy. And as a reminder, Goldline is under new ownership with better pricing, but the same great service. And right now, until the end of the month, Goldline is offering $750 in free coins when you purchase $25,000 or more using their industry-leading Express IRA program. 
Check this out, please. Call them now at 866-GOLDLINE. Ask how you can get the special at 866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. I wear headphones for a living, and that means I need to clean my ears a lot. Uh, you got to do it. That's what's part of our lives as adults. Adults do adult things. Uh, when your ears aren't clean, they can get really uncomfortable. They itch. They're painful. They can get all plugged up. It's nasty, right? None of us want to think about this. That's why the WaxRx system was invented, so you don't have to think about it. Use WaxRx.com as the place to go to get it. It's the method that physicians trust the most. It's just like the system they use in their offices. And it comes with everything you need. The WaxRx system uses special wax softening drops to break down earwax inside the ear. It's got the specially engineered pump fitted with a unique tip to gently deliver the perfect amount of cleansing pressure to flush all the wax away. Finally, they've got the pH-conditioned formula that rinses and soothes your ears, making for the ultimate, most complete earwax removal system possible. Go to usewaxrx.com to order your reusable earwash system today, and you're going to use the offer code RADIO to give you the free shipping. That's usewaxrx.com, promo code RADIO, usewaxrx.com. Glenn Beck. When you start to Mark Weinberg, uh, his book Movie Night with the Reagans, which is really one cool thing about it is taking these moments of history, like the Challenger explosion yeah. and what were they doing around it. It really, it's really interesting from history and really pop culture history yeah. as well. Um, so also a good break, just a good break, just a nice break. Yeah, yes. exactly. At one point, however, I do want to ask you about something from that right. interview. You you mentioned uh, that Mark might not want to call the Reagans friends, which is something that you do all the time. Like when you're pretty much friends with someone, but you don't want to be. You know, I, I don't want to claim to be friends with people who are who, who are you know, like famous. Look, yeah. yeah, I mean, it is a, Michael Bublé is a good example. Are Michael Bublé and I are we friends? No. If we're in a room together, we see each other. He's come up to me. I didn't even see him, and we were in a hotel lobby together, and he is like, "Hey, Glenn, Glenn." So we're and you'll hang out and you'll talk. Yeah, we'll but, talk and we'll have laughs, but we're not friends. You're not vacationing together three yeah. times and a year. Yeah, so I just right. I think it's always important to differentiate between friends and right. Well, you don't want to come off as a guy who's a name dropper, yeah. like oh yeah, he's a friend of mine. No, he's really not. Right, I understand. I yeah. understand why you use that and why you said that to Mark. However, then you just find what he was with Ronald Reagan as the friend zone. Which is not what that term means. Please tell me it doesn't mean like friends with benefits. <laughs> it, well, I would say what it means is you are a friend with someone and you want to hook up with them or have more. Okay. And they are like, and they're keeping you in a friend area. They don't, they're not allowing you to cross the line that you want to cross. Now, I don't know Mark that well, but I don't think, <laughs> don't that, think was that was his it. desire. No, and uh, that, <laughs> was not my, that was not my intent of defining their relationship. Right. You know? Yeah. I was sitting in the movie theater. I was looking at Nancy going, I'd like a slice of that pie, but Ronnie's <laughs> looking pretty good in this light, too. But I can only stay in the friend zone. <laughs> Biggest regret of my life right there. <laughs> I should have made a move when I had a chance. <laughs> is it, the book, though, is interesting from the perspective of pop culture as well. There's been multiple documentaries, for example, and books written about Back to the Future yeah. and the history of how that movie was made. And all, I mean, tons has been written about that. I have never heard the anecdote that the Reagans were watching that movie. They, it talks about how th they loved Michael J. Fox because he played Alex P. Keaton, yeah, who was a yeah, cool yeah, yeah, yeah. young Republican on TV. Yeah. And then the Jane Wyman thing, where the room fell silent. I don't think I've ever heard. Yeah, uh, really, really around. good stories, and it's a good break from the nonsense. It'll take you back to 
something I want to talk about next. Better days? Glenn Beck. Mercury. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Can we just take a just let's just take a second here and and get out of the the nonsense, the stuff that just really doesn't matter in the end. And let's look at what matters most, and that's us and each other and our and our our fellow countrymen and our children. You know, you know, if you feed yourself with this garbage every day, like I have uh, for the last 20 years, you I mean, you just you're <laughs> it's you can become cynical. You can become very cynical and you can uh, start to believe things that aren't necessarily true about each other, but about our own lives. You know, we were talking about this book, Movie Nights with the Reagans, which is a great read. And it'll just kind of take you back to a a simpler time. (laughs) Was it? Was it really? I mean, I think our lives were simpler because we didn't have Federal Express. We didn't. I mean, I you know, remember Federal Express at the time was was turned down by I don't know how many banks because they said nobody needs a document overnight. <laughs> now it's like I need it right now. So our lives were simpler then. But was was it really any better? I mean, I remember during the Reagan years, <laughs> I, I was I remember working in the nation's capital thinking I'm at ground zero. We could be vaporized. I remember having the nightmares as a kid of, you know, those missiles flying over the pole from Russia. I mean, it was a real fear. We don't have that now. Yes, we have terror. We have North Korea. We have Russia. But is it any worse, really, than being vaporized? The entire world being vaporized? I don't think so. If you look at what our life is, Think of this, and I'll get into the stats here in a second. Stu, just take note on some of these stats. Homelessness since the 1980s, down. Violent crime, down, dramatically down. And look this stat up. School shootings, actually down. Death of children, the needless death of children, the mortality rate, hunger, Access to education, and I mean access by everybody. You're in the jungle with a smartphone. Access to knowledge, to banking institutions, to to markets, to be able to make something yourself and sell it. The freedom to speak and actually be heard. These are all things of our day, not of the 1980s. And so before we throw the baby out with the bathwater, let's recognize that there is a baby there. You know what? The, the only thing that I could think of that I think is really what we mean when a simpler time is we had faith in each other. We trusted each other. We trusted the stranger. We trusted that some you're an American. We're all in this together. We're going to disagree and argue back and forth, but we're in it together. That's the only thing that has really taken our quality of life and put it down the crapper. Is we don't have faith in our 
institutions, which in some ways, maybe we shouldn't have so much faith. We shouldn't have blind faith in those institutions. So maybe that's even good. But losing our faith in each other is, is I think, the biggest loss of anything in my life that I have witnessed happen. We have to regain that. And I'm not convinced that if social media exists in the 80s that we, that we a would lot be of those any things better. would have been the same way. I agree with you. you. Know? I mean, I, I, agree. I think a lot of times we tend to remember the things that we like and mm-hmm. delete the things that we didn't like sure. from the past. We romanticize it a bit. Plus, you know, there's a, I think, a, a general tendency to do that. I mean, you're going to you're going to do that as a human being. But then in it, you're also going to delete things that didn't matter. And a lot, we have to remember that a lot of these fights that we have on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, don't matter. Just, just don't matter. Can the, you even remember, we were talking about this yesterday. Can you even remember what the political battle was three weeks ago? What was? I mean, you know, Jared Kushner is in the news today. You think that's going to be an issue in two weeks? Like I, and these things are so fleeting and meaningless so often. And if you go back to those times, I think you just don't even remember them. I mean, you know, Ronald Reagan was in the middle midst of a lot. Yeah, but vicious battles and, vicious. and attacks from the media. But it was uh, only covered 30 minutes a day on three channels. Yeah. It wasn't all-encompassing. It wasn't every day picking apart everything that was happening. Yeah, and I think, you know, you, you look at some of the stats you mentioned. Uh, you know, violent crime rate in the United States has dropped by about 50%. 50? 50. 50% and half. 50. And so, we are looking at ourselves and we're saying, oh, we're we living in such dangerous times. It's down by 50% since I was in high school. That's incredible. incredible. And you, I mean, if you listen to this show at all, you know that I, every time there's one of these like, we must do something moments, I'm usually a skeptic of them. I, I'm usually a skeptic of any. Like, you know, the, the shark attack phenomenon. Oh, yeah. well, it's going to shark attacks, shark attacks. Oh, and then you look at it two months later, like, wait a minute, there was no increase in shark attacks at all. It just was a media you're phenomenon. You're a numbers guy. That's what I love yeah. you. You're, you're, you're so deeply rooted in numbers and stats that very few things affect you because you're like, actually, no. Yeah, I tried to, to do that. That's, right. You know, I, I don't get emotional about those things. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think you wind up finding out when you look at the real information. Um, a lot of times it tells a different story. Now, even I, in that position, was shocked reading this today from Northeastern University. Uh, here's the headline. Schools are safer than they were in the 90s. That's not a huge shock because the crime rate's down. But school shootings are not more common than they used to be. They go through stat after stat. They sh- they show the charts, mass murders, 2000, going back all the way to the 90s. Um, school shootings and mass shootings, 1992 through 2015, I mean, an absolutely noticeable decline, decline, decline in the amount of mass shootings decline. and school shootings. Uh, students killed per million in fatal school shootings from 1992 through 2015 is when the study shows have dropped by 80%. Wait, say that again. Students killed per million. So that's a rate, right? We're not talking about a raw number. We're talking about the rate of killing. Students killed per million in fatal shootings from the 90s to today, has dropped by about 80%. It's just happening in mass. That's, I guess, the But difference. even mass shootings, so now let school me shootings question. have gone down. Incidents per year, down. Question with boldness. Question with boldness. Mm-hmm. I have a question. Go ahead. Would that make a case for the gun-free zone? Because in the 90s is when they put that in. 
I mean, I, I, it's hard to make that case given the stat we've talked about many times that over 98% of mass yeah. shootings have Only happened two in gun, since, since in gun-free zones. So it's hard to imagine that that is the factor there. Um, but, but we, it's let's always get worth to John Lott. It's always worth looking at. Yeah, right? let's look at that. It's always worth looking at. Um, I mean, what are the other things that have, what are the other things that have uh, changed that? Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing, and this is why this is kind of the, the the genesis of this conversation that we started having during the break, is that a lot of times we focus on on little things that enrage us or inflame us on a daily basis, and we lose track of the bigger, larger trends that are much more important. As you pointed out, we were on the verge of nuclear holocaust through this period we were just reminiscing about, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. now, with crime rates down, and with, I mean... Even if you believe the world is unstable as we do, and there are a lot of risks out there, geopolitical and otherwise, you have to know that there's been a giant reduction in nuclear weapons worldwide. The fact that Russia is no longer, or the Soviet Union, uh, it, it does no longer exist with the amount of nuclear weapons that they had, while still dangerous, is a certain improvement. The fact that they are weaker than they were at their gen- at their peak is a is an improvement. We have downgraded the amount of nuclear weapons that we have. I mean, they were they built the Tsar Bomba back in the day, the biggest nuclear weapon ever. It was like you know fifty times the biggest that we ever made, and they they actually tested it. Now we're talking about lower yields and uh, more. Even in the nuclear realm, we've improved quite a bit. But some of these improvements are absolute knock knock your socks off. Uh, you know, worldwide. Since 1990, there has been a 53% drop in the amount of children dying before age five. A 53% drop. This started after Reagan, right? It used to be 17,000 kids that were dying every day that today don't die, that live. Because I would argue a large-scale capitalism spreading throughout yes. the world and improving life uh life let me uh let me share something uh i was sick a couple of weeks ago and i had the flu and this was the worst flu i've ever had i mean it was it was diabolical i mean it ran through our family i don't i'm sorry i didn't mean to demonize the flu uh, it was, it was, um, oh, I don't even want to say it was bad. It was wrong. <laughs> right. Um, but everybody in the family was sick. We were all in bed. Um, and I've never experienced something this violent before. And it, so I, I was thinking, I was thinking, my gosh, we're all down. And I started thinking, you know, typical Glenn Beck thinking, imagine the Spanish flu of 1918. Oh, my God. Where I think it was a third of the population died. A third. Imagine how weird that was. I was out with a friend on Monday and I said, how's the family doing? Because they've been down for about a week and a half. Everybody is sick and his wife is sick. And he said, he said, Glenn, this, he said, this is the first time in my life I've ever actually thought of, wow, what was it like when people just get the flu and just die? Mm -hmm. I mean, think of that. We don't even, we don't really even, people still die from the flu, but it's not something that goes through your head. It's yeah. It's you don't even consider it. It's, no. it's, a, it's unthinkable when it happens. But give, give me this again. Seventeen kids died in this shooting, and it's an incredibly big deal. It's not a small deal. We should absolutely try to solve those problems. But in this span, we've been talking about this five times as many kids in the United States have died from the flu. Have died from the flu. 
85 kids, this is as of last week, had died in this flu season from the flu, which has been a really bad flu season. And while it's absolutely vitally important that we every one of these lives matters, we have to put it in perspective and, and realize how good things have gotten on this point, Glenn. What I was talking about with all these kids that, that, uh, that used to die that now live. That number is over 6 million kids worldwide that would die in 1990 and live today. But when you ask people, has poverty gotten better or worse? 70% of people say it's gotten worse. 70% think it's gotten worse. This is an incredible achievement. Probably the biggest achievement any of us will ever even consider. You're saving 6 million people per year, and that's just children. And we totally ignore it, and we romanticize past eras. Um, so the big things have gotten much better. But you're right, there is that constant angst that seems to just never go away, and it makes us feel a lot worse. I think it's because of, and I'm not blaming it on social media, I'm saying it is leading us um, to view things with distorted vision. We compare ourselves to other people, we compare ourselves to a better lifestyle, we we are constantly um, thrust into uh, left-right discussions, them them versus us. It's, It's not good for a society. And if we can, I, I let me finish where I started. We have to, we have to work hard. We did not think about dividing ourselves and plan on how to divide ourselves. I think others may have Russia, but we didn't. But it is going to require all of us to think, how do we repair this? And if we can just find basic faith and goodwill in each other we're going to be okay so if there is a disaster how do you know you're going to be okay i mean what do you do honestly what do you do to to not have all of this angst you just prepare you you know what you're supposed to know. Do what you're supposed to do. Get it done. And then it's fine. There's a disaster. There's a disaster in my house. I know we're fine because I know we have food supplies. I know we have everything that we need for short term. And God forbid, we also have it for long term. Most people do not have food for three days. That's a real problem. Right now, if you would like to start your emergency food supply... Start with three days, start with a week, start with a month. If you really want to get it done, start with one year emergency food supply. Right now, you can save $1,000 by purchasing My Patriot Supply one year of emergency food for only $9.99. That's a savings of $1,000. This kit normally sells for over two grand, but this week only, it's $9.99. So if you, um, I mean, geez, if you have a family of four, that's a you know quarter of the year everybody's eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner, or one person for nine ninety nine breakfast, lunch, dinner, everything you need for a year. Call eight hundred nine four two twenty three twenty five. 800-942-2325. Ask about their Glenbeck one-year food kit special, price of $9.99. Or order online now at preparewithglenn.com. Glenn Beck Mercury.
Glenn Beck. I'm having a really hard time with this stat that that school shootings and mass shootings are even down from can you I don't I I can't get my arms around. I can't either. I was, again, stunned to read this today. Again, it's from Northeastern University. They talk about all they have all the research uh, posted. I just uh, I'll tweet it again from at World of Stew. and We'll get it from at Glenn Beck as well. But they show all the charts, and this is, uh, again, they don't necessarily agree with all of our solutions either. I yeah, mean, it's yeah, not, yeah, it's yeah, not like right. a conservative no, no, no. study that's trying to defend our positions. Um, but, you know, back in the early 90s, it was as high as about, I'm, you know, trying to read a chart here, but about 30, um, about 30 incidents per year. Um, and again, they, they mass school shootings, uh, multiple victim school shootings, and fatal school shootings. They, they cover all three of them. Um, and most of them, of course, are just fatal school shootings, which are, you know, one person. But it goes down. It was, you know, up around 35, and now it's down to around five per year. Un- Unbelievable. Believable. Unbelievable. We'll really delve into this later on on the Blaze TV and more tomorrow. What do I mean? Glenn Beck. Mercury. Courage. Courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. I wanted to share a letter with you that uh, came in that was unusual. Um, I've been saying for a while, let's, you know, our, our, the minute we start to try to win is the minute we lose. Uh, by trying to win and winning, it means that everybody else loses. It's why we need reconciliation. We need reconciliation with each other, and we need it with the truth. We don't need wins. We need an honest search for truth. How can we make life better? How can we solve things? And how can we do it together? Now, that doesn't mean we're going to agree on everything, and it doesn't mean that everybody's going to join in. But there has to be some effort made got this email in and I wanted to share it. Dear Mr. Beck, I never thought I would be writing to you, especially not to thank you for anything, but here I am. As a 23-year-old liberal who was pretty politically aware throughout middle and high school, you once represented one of the biggest problems our country had to me. But after listening to you, I have felt something I haven't felt in a long time. Hope. True, honest-to-God hope. Hope for the future of this country. Not the kind of partisan hope that, quote, my team wins, end quote, but the kind of hope that we can all figure out that we're all on the same team, the American team. I had honestly given up, Mr. Beck. American politics were beyond saving in my eyes. But if Glenn freaking Beck, of all people, can come out and extend an olive branch and try to start building a bridge between the two Americas, then I know I shouldn't give up. Please don't try to stop fixing this. You're going to take flack from both sides. The right is going to call you a traitor and the left will call you a liar. But you will have my support. And you'll have the support of everyone else who is fed up with the constant war of outrage and scandal. Thank you. Let me just reply. No, thank you, Max.
It's Wednesday, February 28th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. So we all have to look at what we can do in our own lives um, to, to make the world a better place. I know that Ben Shapiro has come out and on the Daily Wire, he has said, we are not going to publish the name or the likeness uh, and make this this kid in Florida famous. And uh, we have said that for a long time. We don't use the name uh, on the radio. The Blaze uh, has not had an official policy on that. And I really want an official policy on it, but I want it rooted in 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 things that actually have some backing to it. What really does make a difference? If the media would do certain things, would would that help? Well, there is a guy who has studied this for a long time, Ari Shulman. He is the editor, editor of the New Atlantis, and he has a Wall Street Journal article out, What Mass Killers Want and How to Stop Them. Ari, can you help me design a policy for our media outlet so we don't help mass killers? Uh, well, I can try. Uh, thank you for having me on the show, first sure. of all. Uh, yeah, so I've been writing about this issue for a few years, and what I did was I, I just looked into the uh, psychology and criminology research that has been around for about 20 or 25 years um, on mass killings, and I was trying to look at this question of what motivates them. Um, and the answer is that there are, there are a lot of different things that motivate them individually. They all have some sort of grievance. The main commonality is that they all get to a point where they decide that the world is to blame for whatever they are frustrated about in their own lives, and they want to inflict their rage upon the world in a kind of spectacle of theatrical public violence. And one of the commonalities of that is that they feel a sense of frustration and, and impotence that they don't have any control over their lives, and they don't have any meaning in their lives. And so this this act in which they usually intend to die is a way of trying to give their lives a kind of final meaning. And part of that is to create a sort of infamy for themselves and for their action. So there is a wealth of evidence that shows that um, mass killers, especially after Columbine, are obsessed with previous events. A lot of them are obsessed with Columbine. Many of them became obsessed with the Virginia Tech shootings. There becomes this kind of chain uh, of obsessive interest in each other. Uh, the Newtown shooter, for example, actually kept a spreadsheet where he was keeping track of, uh, of all of the mass shootings that had happened and the details on them, which had the highest body counts and so forth. And so there is a lot of evidence that what's happening here is that there are these, there's this class of frustrated young men who are essentially trying to one-up each other, to, to outdo each other, uh, and that part of that is their desire to create a, a kind of infamy for themselves uh, in their death. Okay, so you, let's just take this list uh, one by one. You say, never publish the shooter's propaganda. Yes. So I think the, the worst example of this would be the Virginia Tech shooting, where the, the shooter, actually minutes before he committed his act, uh, dropped in the mail to NBC News a video that he had created where he was ranting about the world and uh, all of the people who had wronged him and how he was about to get his revenge. Um, I, I think that it is really appropriate to view this as a form of propaganda. Mass shootings in general, I think, can be understood as a form of apolitical terrorism, it's terrorism without any very strong political content, but it is, it is still designed to inflict terror upon society and to target innocent victims. So when you publish that kind of propaganda or manifestos or any of that kind of stuff, the Sutherland Springs shooter left a manifesto, you are allowing them to control the meaning of that event. And what that does is that creates a motive or an incentive for the next shooter to know, well, if I go and do a big enough shooting, then I will get to control the meaning of that event and my words will get out there and I'll become a kind of anti-hero. 
and I assume I this. One of the, I assume this. You, you'd be. You'd say the same thing about terror. I mean, you know, actual Islamic Middle Eastern terrorism. Yes, I think that that's right. I mean, I, I've studied uh, mass shootings a little bit more than actual political terrorism. Sure. But that is the the the, ga- the aim of the terrorist is not to uh, actually destroy his enemy physically. Uh, it's to inflict a kind of psychological triumph um, where the the victim is uh, is made to feel powerless in this event, and part of that is is crafting a kind of narrative around that. And I think that that is a commonality with mass shootings. So hide their names and faces, but uh, uh, is the next one. But I want to jump to this one. Don't report on biography or speculate on motive. That in this particular case, the the biography or the the history of this kid has been extraordinarily valuable to figure out what happened. Yeah, so of all of the things that I wrote in this piece, I wrote this this piece about four years ago. Um, that's the one that I would probably the most want to walk back from now. Um, I think what I would say about that is that there is an excessive, there's often an excessive focus on trying to find out what is the motive for this person. There's always this question. People describe these as this is senseless. There doesn't seem to be a reason that this person killed the, the particular victims that he did. And my answer to that is that the, the motive um, is, it should be understood as kind of self-directed and as a desire to just get, uh, get infamy and notoriety for oneself. When people are asking about motive, they're usually trying to find out, you know, did the, did the particular victims actually wrong the perpetrator in some way? And the whole point of these acts is that the victims didn't even really know the perpetrator. The perpetrator is deliberately trying to, uh, to kill innocent victims. And so I think that there can be an excessive focus on trying to make sense of these acts and kind of in the terms of sort of normal crime where there is a a deliberate targeting. So I think that's what I was trying to get at with that uh, with that one. Obviously, in this case, the reporting on his biography has been extremely valuable. So I think I would put a little a little asterisk around that now. The uh, minimize specifics and gory details and kind of the no photos and videos of the event. I think these are kind of explained together that, you know, we're not looking for. Uh, photos and videos that are are gory or that glorify or show in action the shooters but for instance you know having pictures of the scene let's take las vegas i don't even know what the shooter really looked like i you know and we didn't see any videos of him except in the window should we should we have done the videos of the scene as it was as it was going but not showing the shooter what I'll say about this is just that I, I want to recommend that there is a balancing act to be had. Um, I think particularly when you look at past shootings, Columbine is the, is the biggest example of this. I think part of the reason that Columbine had such an outsized influence, and there have been journalists and criminologists who have tracked this and found that probably something like 60 or 70 mass shootings have been directly or indirectly inspired by, by Columbine, where there is a kind of line of obsessive influence from the shooters back to Columbine. I think a lot of that had to do with the imagery that came out of that. So anybody who was, you know, around and paying attention to the news reporting at the time, as I was, saw these uh, video camera images, the the security camera images in the school um, of the two shooters walking around the school, and it created this this mm-hmm. really iconic imagery of these yes. shooters per, uh, perpetrating this act. So there is obviously a value in reporting on the details of the act. Um, it's you know particularly valuable when people are trying to figure about policy mechanisms for disrupting this. What kind of weapons did they use? How did it all play out? There are still a lot of questions about uh, the details of what happened in Las Vegas, for example. There is that value there. The point that I want to make is that 
there's also a risk in doing that of allowing for the creation of iconography that will go on and inspire future shooters. Yes. Uh, I'm trying to Ari Shulman of the uh, New Atlantis. He also wrote in the Wall Street Journal about and studied for a long time mass shootings. I have kind of a th- working theory here, Ari. Help, tell me if you can help me along with this. But the Vegas incident is 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 a very strange one when you group it in with all these other mass shootings. And I feel like we almost, in a way, the media was forced into taking your recommendations and essentially yes. experimenting whether they would work or not yes. because we didn't have a motive we, we we didn't have any video of him doing anything and and my my belief is at this point with you could name go back and name the columbine killers and people would have them right off the top of their heads who this guy was in vegas is basically i, I know nothing about him we know it's a terrible incident we know we know generally what happened but he was not made into a celebrity out of that and it's the biggest mass shooting in american history at least in, uh you know going back several decades it, you know it seems like there's almost a test case here to show that your your uh, your ideas here actually work. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, yeah, so again, I, I first started writing about this a few years ago. I've written a few follow-up pieces since, and uh, the biggest thing that I wrote about this was this, this big Wall Street Journal piece, and I would probably write it a little bit differently today. I was very much focused on the, the infamy and sort of celebrity aspect, and um, I was particularly thinking about uh, Columbine, Virginia Tech, uh, Newtown and a bunch of the acts that had had tried to imitate those, where there was very very clear evidence um, that a desire for infamy and celebrity was part of the motivation. Some of the more recent acts, it's less clear. Uh, I think Las Vegas is one of those. Um, the recent shooting in Parkland, it's less clear there. Um, I think the same thing for Sutherland Springs. I can name a few other examples. So, what would I'm you add to, to make... the? What would you add to this list? There's some things that you said I might rethink that. Is there anything you'd add to this list? Um, I don't know that I would that I would add to this exactly. One of the things that I would say is that um, there is a way to get the information out there in a less sensational manner. Uh, so when you look at the at the initial reporting after a mass shooting in the first few days, a, a vast amount of the information turns out to be wrong. Um, mm-hmm. and the way that we respond to it, part of what I was trying to get at in this is that we have a kind of ritualized response to this where we are essentially becoming good victims. I hate to use that, that phrase, but there's a desired psychological response that the mass shooting is supposed to evoke. And part of the, uh, part of my criticism of the obsessive focus that the public has on these events is that it plays into that desire to, to kind of become good victims. Uh, one of the things that I emphasized in my original piece is that you, you essentially have this self-perpetuating script or template or story that has been created so that anybody who is angry can go out and follow the script, right? So the thing that we need to, to figure out is either how to decrease the power of that, uh, of that script. And I think part of that is by decreasing the saturation and the sensationalism of the reporting. But another way might be to actually change the script or show ways of breaking it. And I think we are actually maybe seeing something like that happening right now with the way that the Parkland students are responding to the shooting. Um, I don't want to get into to the, the content of what the students are saying. There, a lot of that is, you know, debatable. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the interesting thing about it is that they're being very bad victims, right? The way that a victim is supposed to behave and that the public is supposed to behave is to be terrorized, to say this is senseless, to say, you know, we feel helpless and there's nothing that we can do. And so I think one of the things that I found fascinating about the Parkland students' response is that they are not behaving in a way as if they are, are helpless. And I wonder if that may turn out to, to 
dampen some of the power of the script. It's really interesting to me because I I look at it in in a different way, and I've never thought of it your way, um, and it'll be interesting to watch because I've thought of it as if you you wanted to make a bunch of victims, then you lose. But if you wanted to uh, forward a movement, you could... Um, you could count on that happening because of the emotion of it's, it's so connected to the emotion and there's so much um, uh, attention to this now that, you know, the, the shooter, whether this was his intention or not, and I don't think it was, I think he was nuts. uh, There is action and the country is, has stopped because of his deed. Yes. Um, so the, I think that there are two different ways that you can see the way that the country is responding a, as a success or a failure in terms of what this shooter was was attempting to achieve. We, we have about a minute. That we can understand that. Go okay. Um, I think you can say that, and, and to one extent, it's successful because we're all talking about it a lot. To another extent, it's not successful because uh, we aren't responding in the way that we are that we are really supposed to. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Um, Ari, thank you so much. And, um, and when you have, you know, new thoughts, we would love to hear it. We, we want to try to be responsible and do the things that we can instead of just telling everybody else what they can do. Thank you so much. Uh, Ari, Thanks so much for having me. You bet. It's Ari uh, Shulman. He, is, uh, he wrote an article for the Wall Street Journal, What Mass Killers Want and How to Stop Them. And it's really aimed towards the media. All right. Do you remember the big data breach that uh, Equifax had last September, the one that exposed Social Security numbers, names and birth dates of over 145 million customers? Well, that's not all. It comes out now that there was more sensitive information that was exposed. Uh, In fact, the documents provided now to the state uh, or the uh, Senate uh, committee reveal that the tax ID numbers and driver's license details may have also been accessed. This exposes you to cyber criminals, and this is long-lasting. There are a lot of threats now in today's connected world, and it takes one weak link for criminals to get in. That's why the new LifeLock Identity Theft Protection with the power of Norton Security can protect you against threats and your identity and your devices that you can't easily see or fix on your own. And if you have a problem, the agents are going to work to fix it. Nobody can stop all cyber threats, prevent all identity theft or major transactions at all businesses. But LifeLock with Norton Security is now able to uncover the threats you might miss. Go to LifeLock.com or call 1-800-LIFELOCK and use a promo code BECK for an extra 10% off your first year. That's promo code BECK, an extra 10%. LifeLock.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. So Jared Kushner and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day that he had yesterday. Tuesday uh, was not really kind to the uh, president's son-in-law. Kushner may have felt that he was um, uh, living out in real time. The day made famous in the um, in the children's book and the in the movie where Alexander goes to sleep with uh, gum in his mouth and wakes up with gum in his hair. Kushner went to sleep with a top secret uh, clearance and woke up with a downgrade to just plain old secret. Uh, which is a really big deal for the things that he is working on. However... I mean, it means that his high-level stuff has to be worked on, but it is not unusual for a security clearance to take this long. 
Now, that was just the beginning of his day. Media reports started coming out stating that officials from four different countries have discussed ways that Jared Kushner might be manipulated. Sources told The Washington Post that these ways of manipulation include taking advantage of Kushner's complex business arrangements and his family debt. Okay, but did they? Was anyone doing that? Or is this the Washington Post saying, hypothetically, these things could happen? We talked to people in four different countries. I mean, I mean, it sounds bad, but can we pump the brakes here for a second? First of all, Kushner may still eventually get the top secret clearance. He's been downgraded to secret in the meantime. The process to obtain a top secret clearance takes sometimes a very long time, depending on how much information the investigators have to go through. The top two things that tie top secret clearance are meetings with foreign nationals and financial debt. Well, he's got a ton of both of those. And for anybody waving that, you see, he's guilty flag. This process is normal, normal. Secondly, I'm having a hard time understanding uh, why the Washington Post ran the story that four countries had discussed ways that they might be able to manipulate the president's son-in-law. Are they thinking about doing that? If so, maybe we should know which countries those are. I mean, are rival nations looking for ways to gain leverage? And if they are, wait. No. I mean, I wish I could show you my shocked face here on the radio, but your shocked face is probably the same. If those four countries are actually trying to do something or were successful in manipulating him, then it would be a story. Other than that... This story is meaningless. Glenn Beck, Mercury. This is the Glenn Beck program. Okay, there's something we all have to learn because there's a new talking point. Uh, it's and it's always great when you get these new talking points because everybody starts to say the same thing on television. All at once, same day, all of a sudden, everybody is saying exactly the same thing. Here's the new talking point. Business interests, including the 666 Fifth Avenue property in New York. They were close to getting the company to invest in the 666 Fifth Avenue property. Is there at least a circumstantial case here that some of what these meetings were about was 666 Fifth Avenue? You see the same ability to try and uh, have vulnerability with Kushner over the 666 <clears throat> building that perhaps... Trump's son-in-law has a 41-story size problem at 666 Fifth Avenue. Jared Kushner's company still... Walk into the office at 666 Fifth Avenue. Yeah, 666 uh, Fifth Avenue. 666 Fifth Avenue. 666 Fifth Avenue. The building in New York... On Fifth Avenue, that's uh, the address is six six six. Find out who is in possession of some of these properties, especially six 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 Fifth Avenue. <laughs> well, clearly the <laughs> devil owns six 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 Fifth Avenue. Who else is living there? I didn't. I mean, Jared should have known it was bad luck to buy six 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 Fifth Avenue. But that's what they're saying is because he owes his, uh, you know, debt on this property. It's, yeah. it's one of the, it was the most expensive office building ever purchased in new york when he bought it i think in 2007 uh and so now they're saying what he's been looking around the world to get financing for the building and everything this is back before he was in the white house and they're saying this is a pressure point on jared kushner and it came out in the washington post story that address and then everybody on cable news is repeating 666 Fifth Avenue. And immediately, as soon as that story comes out, it's a big talking point, and everybody mentions it over and over and over and over again. Well, you know, this is not a, you know, this isn't a right talking point because we, we would have said, see, 
See, there's connection. <laughs> there's connections there to the Antichrist. <laughs> I'm just telling you. <laughs> I mean, if the right would have had six 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 Fifth Avenue, we would have at least had fun with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not happening. Um, Pat Gray, welcome to the program. On your mind today, uh, many things, but in, uh, maybe the top of my list right now is uh, Ryan Seacrest. First of all, Ryan Seacrest was accused by his hairstylist or, you know, the person that does his makeup at E. For six uh, years. Yeah. Uh, and she claimed that he sexually harassed her on a regular basis. So, quietly, E did an investigation. I, I think they handled it right. You mm-hmm. know, the, they mm-hmm. didn't suspend him. They just waited to see what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. They found zero evidence that what she said was true. Zero. And he kept going. Mm-hmm. And and Seacrest talked about it. He he put it on his Facebook post or, you know, put out a story. And he said, I didn't, I, I, I didn't this do this. Is, this is not true, but I'm cooperating with, right. you know, whatever the company wants to do, I will cooperate. And he did. He did. And they found no evidence. Zero. And now it's everywhere all of a sudden. And now they're talking about uh, public relations people are advising their clients not to go anywhere near him at the Oscars because he has the red carpet thing, the interviews that he does. Oh, and so the PR people are saying, why would you even take that chance? He's been accused. So go to the other person he's or go to some other outlet. Accused. He's, he's been, and he's been cleared. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's been, been accused. Are you now or have you ever been a member of the Communist Party? If this isn't a worse oh a, a McCarthyism than we had in the 50s, I, I don't, I mean, well, that, it's at least as, as that was, it's getting as bad. It's getting as bad, except that did have the power of the government to put you in jail. Very true. You yeah. know, this is so just that's, destroying that's your true. life. Uh, and I mean, witch hunt is appropriate on this. There's uh, an ABC star, Bellamy Young. She's on Scandal. She said, I think this is the time for Ryan Seacrest to step aside and let someone of equal talent that is beyond reproach to be in charge. (laughs) First of all, the guy has every job in the world. There's nobody of equal talent. (laughs) I'm sincere about that. I think he's one of the most talented, smartest guys around. He he just is really good. He's He's really good. And and how aren't you above reproach if you've been cleared of any wrongdoing? Uh, that seems to be no you never get to go back i, I guess not you never get to go I mean, back you're just totally tainted now forever because somebody accused you let's it's keep wrong. in mind anybody can accuse anybody else of wrongdoing and and, and, and then you're i just have a ruined. llama in the wings right now that's going to swear out a testimony <laughs> about pat um <laughs> And if you want me to bring if, the llama out, I will. If you actually but, had a llama, I'd be nervous. But once that once that llama once that llama does what llamas do, baz yeah. or you know uh, barks or whatever they do, mm-hmm. it can't be unbarked, Pat. <laughs> it can't be unbarked. Uh, you know, scary. You know what's interesting? I you you're talking about how people can be accused, and it's always they're always tainted with it. Now and we're in over. the Me Too era, right? It's over. Mm-hmm. You know what's one one accusation? that has had no attention since the Me Too movement has started? I bet I'm going to say the same thing. Are you really? Yeah. I don't know. I was going to say Al Gore's second chakra. Remember? Oh, remember wow. this? Wow. Remember the That's accusation by the masseuse yeah. who said that Al Gore was constantly trying to get him to touch her? Yeah. To, uh, to, uh, I want re- you to adjust my second chakra. Right. Remember it's this? Because of our F.U. wave that my chakra's out of place. 
So, yeah, That's he was trying strange. to get her to do things to him in regions she didn't want to touch. And she complained about it, and she and, and it was brushed wow. off by the That's media right. completely. So, he has not faced word one of a second nope. thought on this wow. over that time. And Bill Clinton has, right? I mean, there have been yeah, a lot of yeah. people on the left who have said, okay, we, we handled that Clinton thing wrongly. But, I mean, one accusation has been enough for almost everybody. And that everybody. wasn't 30 years ago. That was eight years ago. Yeah, right. That was in 2010. Was it 2010? Yeah. I knew it was late 2000s. Yep. So let me let me go where I was going to go. Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy Kimmel is hosting the Oscars. Not outside yeah. like Ryan Seacrest. He's hosting, hosting the Oscars. Has he been accused? Uh, have you seen any of the videotapes of what he's done? I mean, he used to host a show called The Man Show. Yeah, oh, he man. did. A, um, he did a. Wow. Um, I'm going to put something in my pants, oh, yeah. and you can feel around to see what it is. You might want to use your mouth. Okay. Yes. He's on wow. video doing that. Yep. Over and over. I mean, it was part of that show. Look, and I defend that show at that time, and I, you know, they. They did no things, way. but they did That's, things that were funny, right? It was it was funny, and it was it was totally fine. Sorry, it's retroactively it's, inappropriate. It's retroactively inappropriate, however. Yeah, um, because you know, uh, I mean, remember this is the show that ended every episode with girls jumping on jumping on trampolines in their underwear. Every episode ended the same way. That was literally the last for, the sentence of every show. Is, and now guy, girls jumping on trampolines. And he's the guy that's wow. totally okay to host the Oscars. I mean, yeah. you want to talk nobody's, about... Nobody said a thing. There's two, thi- there's two people, two organizations that have made a choice today, and I don't think it's going to end well for either of them. Dick's Sporting Goods. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Saying, we're not going to carry... You know, AR 15s. AR 15s. We're standing against these things. We're going to, you can't buy a gun until you're 21. I don't think that's going to play in the heartland of America. Even though everybody's jumping on Walmart now to do the same, which they did back in 2015. If they they do that for the hysteria, maybe. I don't agree with it, but maybe. That's what Dix did last time. Dix did, you know, a temporary, Temporary. we're just going to take them off the shelves and just let the heat go away. Okay, so you kind of understand that, um, but Cabela's—I don't think Cabela's is going to do that. And if I can go buy a gun at Cabela's, and I have Dix, who is—you know—I want to buy a gun that's not an AR. I'm not going to go buy it at Dix. No, I'm going to go to Cabela's. They've made the choice. The other organization is the Oscars. They have taken a guy. Now, see if this sounds familiar. A guy who has called the president all kinds of names, a guy who has has made passionate, sometimes unstable seeming uh, uh, pleas on his own show. He has cried on three different occasions, three different shows while making pleas about politics. And I thought that was a bad thing. It's a bad thing. Yeah. They have now said, (laughs) you are the guy. Uh, uh, by the way, in the middle of the Me Too thing, also has his history. You're the guy to host the Oscars. The Oscars has zero chance, zero chance. When you have Jimmy Fallon available, how do you expect to get people in the center of the country who disagree with you to watch the Oscars? If I were ABC, I'd be pissed. I know it's your guy, but I'd really be pissed. Yeah. Because I just spent a fortune to have the Oscars, and now you're going to strap me with this guy who's going to turn off half of the country. Mm-hmm. It's just foolish. 
Mm-hmm. Just foolish. It's foolish. We have some audio from Jimmy Kimmel talking about this. You want to hear it? Yeah, go ahead. This is uh, Jimmy Kimmel uh, talking about what he said about the uh, GOP and Donald Trump. Do you think that maybe there have been times where you push the envelope too far and maybe become a little too political? No, I don't. No, you no, don't regret no, anything no. that no. you've said? Mm-mm. Not at all. I don't think you can go too far. Mm. I think that can you, you imagine know, if I'm I would still have said doing that? a no. comedy show oh, and on. I need to be funny and entertain my audience. But When's I that also start? think that... Uh, We've matured enough to the point where we can accept uh, Mm. late night talk show hosts speaking about a serious subject. And Mm. I think that it's almost necessary now. But can we accept talk show hosts making jokes? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I accepted it from Jimmy Kimmel when he was doing the man show. I I mean, it was a joke. We all understood it was in that context. Mm hmm. Uh, now, I don't know if that's true, but I mean, you know, Kimmel has always talked about serious issues on that show. One of the things that made Kimmel, I think, a, a really strong late night host is we used to play his audio all the time of people who thought uh, you know, who didn't understand Obamacare and who didn't, uh, you know, understand these big Obama pushes. Um, and he took time to mock them as well. You know, he he used to do that. And what's happened is he's had a personal incident that has made him very emotional about healthcare, And it set him off on this tra- tra- this, uh, you know, sort of snowball effect where now that's all he can think about. And he's completely assessed, despite knowing almost nothing about the topics he's talking about. It's very Letterman-esque. Same yeah. thing happened to Sad. David Letterman with the war. It, it made him bitter and angry and awful and awful and and you, unwatchable to anybody on the right. And so that I think that same thing is going on with Kimmel now. Um, do you want to? We also have a, him talking about. Uh, I don't know. You want this striking the right tone at the Oscars? Want to hear this real quick? Yeah, yeah. Let me hear that. Yeah. Nervous at all that you're going to strike the right tone? Yeah, that I do worry about that because I have a tendency to not strike the right tone um, in my life. <laughs> <laughs> And so, I, you know, I do think about that. How will you know if you've gone too far? I'm sure the internet will tell me. He just said he can't <laughs> In go real too time. far. Right. Yes, almost immediately. So you probably saw there was a USA Today poll that was released recently that said 94% of women in Hollywood have been harassed or assaulted. That's your audience right there. Yeah. How do you address it? Well, listen, here's the thing. This show is not about reliving people's sexual assaults. It's an award show for people who have been dreaming about maybe winning an Oscar for their whole lives. And the last thing I want to do is ruin that for someone who is, you know, nominated for, you know, best leading actress or best supporting or best director. Please stop right here because I'm just listening to this and I'm like, I don't care about any of the stuff about the Oscars. I really don't. I just don't care about it at all. Not going to watch it. Don't care. I do care about Ryan Seacrest. I Um, do too. And and that is Oscar related because here's a guy who has been cleared by an investigation and just one person saying he was, he was coming on to me all the time. He was sexually harassing me. Even though the company looked into it and did an extensive evaluation in today's atmosphere, finds him clean, they're still wanting to drum him out of business. It's wrong. Thanks, Pat. Pat Gray Unleashed is on The Blaze every day, right after this program. Uh, the Blaze Radio and The Blaze TV. You can also subscribe to the podcast. You can get anywhere you get podcasts, including iTunes. And uh, at 5.30 tonight, you don't want to miss it. We have a 5 o'clock show. Uh, 
me at the chalkboard, and then at 5.30, the news and why it matters that you don't want to miss. If you haven't seen it yet, you're going to love it. Markets are beginning to uh, price now for a potential interest hike in March. Another one is likely in June, and they believe another one's going to happen in December. Well, the market has corrected things, um, you know, that the... The dollar has dropped by 11%. Uh, people are starting to worry about inflation. Inflation means higher interest rates to try to curb that inflation. Uh, that means if you have an adjustable loan, you're going to pay more for your, um, your home. Uh, and just a couple of points in an interest rate hike, and that changes everything. You need to lock in the lower interest rate right now. Now is the time to start shopping for loan programs and rates, and I highly recommend that you get started by calling the salary-based mortgage consultants at American Financing. With American Financing, they are going to give you a straightforward and effortless mortgage experience because they work for you. They don't work for the banks. American Financing. Call 800-904. I'm sorry, 800-906-2440. 906-2440, or you can find them on AmericanFinancing.net. But act now. Please lock in these historic rates. AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing Corporation, NMLS 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Make sure you uh, grab a copy of Control, the uh, book that we wrote about uh, gun control. It's uh, available uh, at Amazon. I think it's going back to press because uh, the the uh, book has been sold out now at uh, Amazon. But it, you can also get it for Kindle and everything else. But it is it is a really good book. And I say that because, uh, you know, I, I didn't write all of it. I wrote it with um, uh, John Lott. Lott. Uh, and, uh, and there was another guy, I'm sorry, I can't remember uh, now. Yeah, the guy who wrote the On Killing, right? Yes, 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 uh, Lieutenant Grossman, yeah. who is just, they're amazing, they're amazing. Um, so please, it is a, a great book to, to read if you want to defend the Second Amendment. I uh, got an email in um, about Cruz's neighbor begging cops to step in after reporting his dark behavior. Uh, a lot of people are saying, Glenn, you can't arrest somebody for what they might do. No, you're right. But when there is this much evidence, these that many people speaking out, we need to do more. Glenn Beck, Mercury.